Landlord Law Podcast with Solicitor Tessa Shepherdson. Hello and welcome to this week's Landlord Law Podcast. I'm Tessa Shepherdson and this episode is the companion episode to the bulletin which is going to go out, or by the time you listen to this will have gone out, on Tuesday the 21st of November 2023. Now, at the time of recording, my main concern is preparing for my training day, which is going to take place on Thursday. I expect one of your main concerns is what's happening with the Renters' Reform Bill. Now, I'll be talking about this a little bit, but if you want some detailed guidance, I'd recommend the Independent Landlord website, because Suzanne has done a lot of work on that. So that's well worth looking at. But in the podcast, we're now going to move towards... News. Our news round, as usual, went on on Friday, so let's take a quick look at some of the things that I discussed there. The first thing is that there is a new right to rent guide, which I would suggest you take a look at. It's really, really important that you do your right to rent checks and you do them correctly because from the start of 2024, the fines are due to go up massively. So you don't want that to happen to you. So make sure you're doing things properly. Then the next news item is about Rachel McLean having been asked to stand down the day before she was due to introduce the Renters' Reform Bill in its committee stage, which I have to say is a bit bonkers and probably shows Rishi Sunak's lack of interest in housing. I wrote about this in one of the blog posts, which I'm going to discuss later. Then we've got some items about the Renters' Reform Bill itself. First item, quite interesting. You may remember a while ago we had a really important case on rent repayment orders in a rent-to-rent situation where the tenants wanted to make the order enforceable against the property owner rather than their direct landlord, who I think didn't have any assets. And the court found that it was only the direct landlord that was liable, not the ultimate owner. Now, this sounds sensible and in a proper rent-to-rent situation, that's quite fair. But the trouble is these rent-to-rent situations are often used as a device to prevent tenants from claiming against the person with assets so that the the property owner will sublet to someone who hasn't got any assets and then the tenants have to claim against them so they, they can't get any compensation out of them. So it looks as if the Renters' Reform Bill is going to change that and allow orders to be made against superior landlords, which may well mean that it's probably not a good idea to enter into a rent-to-rent arrangement at all. So if you're thinking about rent-to-rent, you may want to think again. And then, of course, there's the huge controversy about abolishing Section 21. And the government have said, after a promise they made to the National Residential Landlords Association, that they won't implement the abolition of Section 21 until court reforms have come in. But others are saying, well, this is ridiculous. You've been saying ever since 2019 you're going to abolish Section 21. You ought to get on with it. And Angela Rayner has said that if a Labour government get in, they are going to abolish Section 21 on the first day in office. 
So we'll have to see what happens there. The main problem, of course, about the court process issues is it's going to make it really hard to evict antisocial tenants. And that probably affects tenants more than it does landlords because it's other tenants and neighbours who are affected by the antisocial tenant, not the landlord who often lives miles away. And then the next item is about benefit tenants and applicants with pets and children who it seems are still being penalised today, which in a way isn't surprising because benefit applicants often can't afford to pay the rent and pets and children can cause a lot of damage to the property. And they're not going to change that with legislation. They can change the way that landlords are supposed to deal with it, but they're not going to change the actual problem itself. Now, there are amendments to the bill which is going to make it more difficult for landlords to have blanket prohibitions. But in a way, you know, that we, we have that now. And um, the, the featured blog audio uh, looks at that. But as landlords must always have the right to choose the tenants that they want, it, it's going to be difficult to uh, stop this having, happening altogether. Looking at a few of the news items that have been published today, and I'm recording this on the Monday, there's articles saying that improving the court system is going to take years and years, which I have to say doesn't surprise me. It's only really going to be improved if they have a massive injection of funds. And of course, the court system, the Justice Department, is the department that suffered more than any other under austerity. So it's going to take a while for it to come back up to what it was. Then there's a news item saying that Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, is going to buy 10,000 private homes to become social rent properties. Sounds expensive. I'm sure he's going to, particularly if they are ex-council house properties, I'm sure he's going to be paying an awful lot more than they were sold for, which just goes to show that there is this inherent unfairness in the right to buy, unfairness on society rather than unfairness on the individual tenants, because we all paid for those houses with our taxes, or rather the London ones were paid for by Londoners. So Londoners are now going to have to pay a lot more to buy them back again. And then there are some news items about the problems with HMOs, which rogue landlords are using to get much more money out of properties than they would do if it was led to uh, an individual family, which is what they were built for. And apparently they are crowding people in, which makes it unpleasant for those people, particularly as the properties are not in particularly good repair. Now, the main solution to this, I would have thought, is more enforcement action. Because unless we have proper enforcement action by local authorities against rogue landlords, then it's not really going to get any better. Because these rogue landlords, they're not going to take any notice of legislation. They just ignore it completely and do what they want. So I do hope that there is going to be more funding available for local authorities for enforcement action. So those are a few things in the news at the moment. Let's take a look at recent posts. As usual, we have three recent posts. The first one is perhaps a bit of a rant, and it's about the continuing revolving door of housing ministers. Now, as I say in, in the post, I wrote about this in 2009, which was just a few years after the blog had started. And at that stage, I was complaining about 
the revolving door during the Labour administration. And we had had nine members during that time. However, during the Tories, it's got worse because we've had 16, including the most recent one, Lee Rowley. Now, the revolving door is a problem because it means that ministers never really get a grip on their brief before they're moved on. Sadly, housing seems to be regarded as, well, it's an unpopular department to be in and people are usually quite keen to get out of it. I don't know whether that's because housing is a difficult subject to get a grip on. The legislation is complicated and there are a lot of issues. But that's really why we need to have a housing minister who is interested in the subject and understands it and stays there a long time. Whereas during the Tory administration, the longest housing minister that we've had was Grant Shapps in about 2010-2012. And I don't think he was particularly good anyway. But then I go on to wonder whether, having read part of, at least part of Rory Stewart's book and listened to him speak, whether there's any point in having ministers. Because what he says is that it's, it's not a proper job. They haven't really got any power to do anything. And he describes how in the post that he had, he tried to improve things, but was constantly blocked, either by the Treasury or just by not being able to move things forward. And I recall a talk that I attended in one of the, it's one of the property mark uh, conferences a few years ago and it was a talk by Nick Clegg and he was talking about when he was a deputy prime minister and he said what tends to happen is every decision which is in any way controversial or troublesome it gets pushed up and so he and David Cameron had to decide practically everything and not surprisingly they were completely exhausted and he queried whether it was good that two sleep deprived blokes should have to decide everything and I have to say, it seems rather an inefficient way of dealing with things. So there are problems with our system, with democracy and the short termism, which seems to be endemic and which I have to say, Keir Starmer seems to have recognised because he constantly talks about sticking plaster politics, which is basically what we have a lot of the time. And then finally, in that post, I say that, uh, well, I refer to news posts that say that Rachel McLean was sacked the day before the Renters' Reform Bill was about to go into committee because of a tweet she'd sent out a couple of months earlier, which I have to say is extraordinary. I mean, it's not like she's the only MP that's ever announced anything in advance. They're all doing it. I mean, we know more about these events before they happen than afterwards. So I do wonder why that was done. And I do hope it's got nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman and so her opinion doesn't count. So that's my opinion piece. If you've got any comments on it, do go and read it and put a comment at the bottom. I'm always interested to hear what people say. You may have a different view from me. So please leave your comment. Then the next post is a fairly short blog clinic post, but it's about something that we're continually being asked, which is ending fixed term tenancies and landlords wanting tenants to give notice and ideally saying that the tenancy will continue if they don't give notice and, and tenants wanting to be able to leave at the end of the fixed term and not knowing quite what they have to do about it. And as I explain in the post, a fixed term will end at the end of the fixed term. It'll always end at the end of the fixed term and the periodic tenancy that comes afterwards is always a new tenancy. And it'll only arise if the tenants are still there. So if the tenants want to leave at the end of the fixed term 
or end the tenancy at the end of the fixed term. They just have to move out. They don't have to do anything else. And I'm afraid, landlords, they don't even have to give you notice about it. They can just leave and not tell you. I'm afraid there's not a lot you can do about that. It's one of the things of being a landlord. And then finally, I've directed you to one of the posts I wrote a few years ago when Section 21 was first announced to be ending. And in this post, I talk about the question of whether ending the right to use Section 21 will have any effect on the various regulations, because one way these regulations are enforced is because that you can't serve a valid Section 21 notice unless you've complied with them. Now, I've seen that they are going to change the regulations regarding deposits to say that you have to comply with the deposit regulations before you can evict your tenant. But I haven't seen so far, and maybe I've missed it, I haven't seen so far that that evicting tenants is going to be conditional upon complying with the other regulations, which are things like serving the gas safety certificate, uh, serving the how-to-rent booklet, that that may be something that's brought in later in the committee stage or it may be buried in that very long list of amendments which I haven't had time to look at in detail. But just a point to raise, the post that I've linked to, the end of Section 21 post, does actually set out what those things are. So we'll have to look out and see whether they are included in the Renters' Reform Bill in due course. And then we usually have a featured blog audio And this week, we're featuring the post, which is about the fact that uh, it is against the discrimination legislation for landlords to discriminate against benefit tenants and tenants with children. And have a listen to that. I explain in that post why that is. I'm not going to go into it here. So those are the featured posts. Next, featured content. As I discussed earlier of the things that you need to do before you can serve a valid Section 21 notice, I thought it might be useful to give you, as the featured content of the week, my frequently asked question where I I list this for you. So if you want to check what the things are that you need to do in order to serve a valid Section 21 notice, they are listed on that frequently asked question. And as usual... This will be available for you to access for the next seven days. So let's now move on to recent posts in the forum. Some interesting forum posts this week. The first one that I feature is about a landlord who wants to evict under Section 21 and the council have asked her to defer issuing proceedings. Now, clearly she doesn't want to do this, and she asked whether she has to. The answer to that is, of course, no, she doesn't have to. The local authority can't dictate to her when she does and does not issue proceedings for possession. Invariably, local authorities will not want landlords to evict tenants if they would be in priority need, because then the local authority will need to rehouse them and local authorities are in real problems at the moment because they haven't got any available properties to rehouse them. So we had a bit of discussion about that and also about the complaints that tenants could make 
and the Limitation Act, which sets out uh, an absolute period after which claims can't be made at court. The next forum point is about a deposit and letting agents, where the letting agents had sort of come with the property, as it were, and the uh, landlord said she didn't think she had a proper agreement with them. Well, first of all, she did have an agreement with them. It's just that it looks like it wasn't written down. So in those circumstances, if they do work for you, you obviously have a contract. But the problem is, what are the terms of that contract? It's often quite difficult to work that out. And then we have a bit of discussion about the specific items in dispute and whether damages can be recovered for them from the deposit. Then the final forum post is about what are the requirements for a landlord installing smoke detectors in their property? And the landlord cites some requirements that have been issued by their local authority and she wants to know if this can be justified. One of the other members gives some technical information about this but my general contribution towards the discussion is that the only real rules about smoke detectors are those that apply to all landlords and the safety regulations which are in the management of HMO regulations. Local authorities do sometimes have standards that they want to apply in their area but the conditions that they make have to be reasonable to the particular property concerned and sometimes it is possible to challenge any requirements that may, they may make. But if you do that, it's a good idea to have a solicitor help you with it. And I recommend the HMO hotline service that we have, where anyone actually, not just a member, can book a telephone call with one of our two HMO specialist solicitors to discuss this with them. So let's now move on to the video of the week and my tip of the week. We've done a little promotional video in-house about our property inspection kit and I thought you might like to see it. It explains why you need to do property inspections and then goes over what the property inspection kit does. So that's the video of the week. When you click through you'll find it on the uh, sales page but don't buy it if you are a landlord law business level member because if you're a landlord law business level member you get access to this kit as part of your membership entitlement. The video as with uh, several of our little landlord law videos can be watched without the sound on. The sound is actually music and Patrick and I have recently signed up to a music uh, company where you can, um, where you can use uh, music clips so we've been have, having fun uh, choosing the music for the different videos. And uh, that, that's where the music for this podcast came from. So that's been uh, quite a fun thing for us to do. I hope you like the music that we've chosen. And then for the tip of the week, this is leading on from the content that we've had this week about Section 21 and the prerequisites that you need to comply with as a condition of serving a valid Section 21. And the tip says, first of all, you have to make sure that you've complied with them all, but then goes on to make the point that if you issue proceedings based on an invalid Section 21 notice, not only is your claim going to be chucked out by the judge, assuming he spots it, but also, if he does that, 
then your tenants, if they've been represented by solicitors, which often they may have done if there's something wrong with your Section 21 notice, you will be ordered to pay their legal costs. It's really, really important that when issuing proceedings, you ensure that your paperwork is perfect because judges, I wouldn't say they're exactly on tenants, the tenant's side, but their view is that if a landlord is going to evict a tenant, which is a very serious, life-changing thing, it's up to the landlord to make sure that their case is watertight. So that's what you need to do. And if your case isn't watertight and it gets chucked out, then there is this general court rule that normally the uh, loser pays the winning party's costs. So there you go. You are warned. So here we are in the final part of this Landlord Law podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. One thing which I meant to mention at the start but forgot but can tell you about now is that we've started posting to our Instagram account. It's not really a new Instagram account because I did actually set it up quite a while ago but we've just started using it. So if you use Instagram, please do come and have a look. The Instagram account is landlordlaw8416 although you may be able to find it for a search on landlord law so come along and say hi and take a look at the posts so that's the end of this week's podcast and i'll speak to you again next week thank you for listening that was the landlord law podcast with solicitor tessa shepherdson Sign up for the Landlord Law Weekly Bulletin at landlordlaw.co.uk slash bulletin.